Hello everyone, it's uh, me and Hao Yang here today. The date is now 31 of December 2022 and in the spirit of the upcoming new year, Happy new year uh, <laughs> we decided to do um, poems based on the theme endings and beginnings. So for us today, Hao Yang has selected a poem by Ji Leong Ko. Uh, if you want to expound upon it, Hao Yang. Oh yes. So I picked a poem from his collection, Payday Loans. And the collection is like a collection of sonnets. So basically he wrote a sonnet uh, every day of the month, I think it was April. Um, yeah, so I'll be reading a sonnet. And I was kind of struggling to find a poem for like the endings, beginnings things. I was just like scrolling through my... Mm. Um, it, is, it is quite big. <laughs> yes, okay, okay. Well, yeah, I really struggled, okay. Uh, uh, go on, go on. Yeah, I was just scrolling through my photo album because I take photos of poems that I like. And so mm -hmm. this was the only one that was like remotely related to the theme. And I didn't want to read like mm, the other poems that are very explicitly related to New Year's because like the Naomi She Have Nine one that I sent to the chat. So mm. I just chose this one up. Plus it's from like a Singaporean writer, which is something I don't think I've done for several episodes already. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, you gotta furnish my credentials. Yeah. Oh, okay. we actually have an interview with Chikyong Ko. We haven't. If you're, if you're listening to this. <laughs> I don't think he'd be listening to this. <laughs> you can always hope. Okay. But uh, yeah, you, you've chosen a sonnet. Is there any reason why? No, there's no reason why. Or, but, oh, okay. Uh, um, <laughs> the sonnet's really well written, okay, from the collection. Ah, like, I see. Yeah. They're really masterfully written. I, I, yeah. After I didn't get sick of the format at all. What? Sorry. I didn't get sick of the format at all. Whereas I think oh. which other. I know I've read Auden, right? Auden's collected poems, mm -hmm. and then it's also formal poetry. So every single poem has at least a rhyme scheme, and I got ah. kind of it after a while. Whereas for like uh, G's poems, I still enjoyed reading every single one of them. So yeah. I okay. highly recommend reading Payday Loans. Okay. Thank you, Hao Yang. Uh, for me, I've chosen a fairly simple poem. So it's called First Date from uh, the collection After You by Cyril Wong. So it's basically like a collection of um, love poetry. Yeah? And this one here is uh, written in free, free verse. And yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, when, when we get to the poem later, it's fairly straightforward in, in its meaning and, and um, what you can get out of it, and especially in linking to the theme of endings and beginnings. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay, the only other poem I considered was Endings by Amanda Chong. But I've already read that for the podcast. Oh, yeah, right, right. Um, <laughs> also, I have a question, Jovan. Yeah. You've chosen, like, Two love poems in succession. Is there a reason why? I don't know. Wait, what was the previous one? The gallery. Oh. I I think I've just been studying a lot of love poems. The, the gallery was part of my A-level text. So I was uh, like, oh, okay. I'll just reuse it. So how do you encounter um, first date? So, okay, uh, to be honest, uh, I, I bought After You because I was like, taken in by, I think it was Books Actually Marketing, and the oh. cover was so nice. So I was like, oh, it's hardcover, and the cover design is like really cool. 
uh, get this vote. And yeah, Cyril Wong is, uh, I mean, we've, we've talked to him before. Mm-hmm. He's a pretty, he's one of my favorite uh, local poets, I would say, and he never ever misses with his poetry. How many and, books, how many books yeah? of this have I read? Yeah. Uh, I don't know, three, three, three or four. Oh wow, that's yeah. more than including the the novel as well, The Side of Heaven. I've only read This Side of Heaven and what was it, The Lover's Inventory. Oh yeah, I've read it. I read it too. Yeah. But but yeah, um, this one is a bit. I feel it's a bit different from the rest of Cyril Wong's writing, mm-hmm. as far as I've read, like, at least. Have you read G's writing? I've read Steep Tea, the collection. Is it after I recommended it you? Uh, yeah. yeah. That's after you recommended it to me. That's great, that's great. And, and after uh, we, we talked to him that time at the Poetry uh-huh. Slam. Uh-huh. But, it wasn't yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. This, one, this poem is... Spoken uh, word. Yeah. This poem is a bit uh, different from the rest of Sirius' writing uh-huh. that I've read, I feel. Or rather, the whole collection is a bit different. Uh, uh-huh. Because it's a lot more straightforward. It's, it's not as uh, opaque or it's not as um, chock full of imagery as, as uh, his writing in, let's say, The Lover's Inventory mm. or Unmarked Treasure. Uh-huh. And, and I like that it's so direct and it's so raw in that sense as well. And yeah, I'm, I'm quite excited to, to dive into it. That's great. Wait, before we continue with the poems, right? Should we share how 2022 went and our quotes for 2023? Uh, I mean, let's be honest, both of us are just going to talk about NS anyway. Okay, except for NS. Let's move on from NS. Okay, uh, <laughs> this is going to take it. You're going to have to edit like a lot of pauses from this. Okay. But I, I would feel that my 2022 compared to 2021. I actually had a lot more avenues to uh, explore myself creatively. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in between BMT and, and vocational training. Sorry for talking about NS, but mm-hmm. I've had a lot more pockets of time to to just you know write whatever I want to write, and write not for the sake of like uh, competitions or publishing mm-hmm. or hoping to get published, but more of just writing to to express myself and. To just like vent sometimes. Mm-hmm. I've also managed to read a lot more, a lot more books this year. Yeah. So, like last year I read around forty plus. This year was fifty plus, which is oh. quite surprising actually. Uh, but I guess NS has given me a lot more, a lot more free time. Uh. Mm-hmm. I stopped tracking altogether for myself this year. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm just vain la, So I, I need to track. <laughs> of books I read to keep myself going. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, it's the, the angle for these two years is really just a waiting game, uh, you know, for, for the big old ORD. True. And yeah, I'm, I'm just like as much as possible putting myself on autopilot and, and going back to what I uh, used to and still do enjoy, which is reading and, and hearing all these uh, new voices, living all these different lives. Uh, within the pages, and of course, creating my own new lives within uh, verse myself. Mm-hmm. And yeah, what about you? That's nice. I don't have NS horror stories. Um, I'm not struggling with NS at all. Um, <laughs> but 
yeah, I think I've had quite a lot of time to myself this year, like much more than previous years. It's been much more fulfilling also for some strange reason. I've got to do more than in the past. Like, it's a plug for open house. If you're listening, please go for open houses, um, art exhibitions during Singapore Art Week. Yes. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. like, open house is damn great. I've been volunteering with them. Then, it's like this podcasting thing, which is so fun. And I mean, yeah, I guess I've just had much a lot more time to myself this year. But I wouldn't say I feel happier, but that's something for another time. <laughs> um, yeah. And so I guess I don't, I'm not really looking forward to ORDing, to be honest. Like, Really? I would only want to ORD if I have something after ORDing to look forward oh, to. Oh. But once again, there's something for another therapy session. Um, <laughs> so for 2023, I'm just really hoping to secure that future after ORD so I can look forward to ORDing and my life ahead. Mm. Yeah. Actually, but, now that you've mentioned it, how did we even like, get started on all this podcasting again no uh, wait i think i started it right and then i asked yeah yeah be part of it yeah because i think how, how uh, did you get started how did i get started no we started with like instagram spam account what i just made videos there and then yeah uh, I, like i think Siri um said that it'd be better if it could be on like some podcast platform so you can listen with the app like closed <laughs> and so I started doing it this year long because I had the time and the bandwidth. Oh. Yeah. Oh, for the benefit of our listeners, Siri is one of our schoolmates. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. So, I think let's just move on to the poems now. After <laughs> uh, you. Um, I'll start. I'll start. April 17th, Sunday, by Julian Ko. I wake up with a hard on, and the light between the hotel curtains gives the finger. No rosy morn, but pale, theorized bringer of the day to come. All right, to right, to right. We'll see, since we're sightseeing, the sights. Lunch with an ex-boyfriend not seen in years. Go to a bar where we will last and leer, but do nothing before we call it a night. I turn and turn, and still the sheets disgust me. He disgusts me. I disgust me. Lust disgusts me. And the finger, bruised, a slight cut in the curtain, previously a smear, hardens into a direction, clear, desirable, and promising as light. Okay. Oh my god, I'm so unprepared. I'm gonna cut this out. Um, <laughs> yes, so that was April 17th, Sunday by G. And it's a sonnet. I don't know if y'all could tell from the way I read it, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so April 17th, Sunday, G writes about being in bed, right? It's the dawn of a new day and it's morning. So, I mean, quite obviously, that's where the beginnings part comes in. And with New Year, right, everyone expects a rupture, like things are gonna get um, astronomically better. Well, imagine that the the step from the 31st to the 1st is going to be radically different. People set New Year's resolutions and, and whatnot. But in this poem, really, there's no sense of that transition. In fact, it's, it's pretty jaded. The tone is pretty jaded. Um, morning, 
as G writes in the third and fourth line, right? Fourth lines. Morning isn't rosy, but the pale, pluralized bringer of the day to come. No morning light. And pluralized, pluralized, I don't know if I pronounced that correctly, is like inflammation of the sheet-like layers that cover the lungs. So it's, well, clearly he's not starting the day right. He's not even physically well. Um, it's alluding to some kind of physical ailment, right? Um, mm. And also, I don't know if it's like, just because I studied French. Like when I saw when I saw Pleurus, I thought of Pleur, which is like rain in French, and it's got like sad vibes. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> so man is like not ready to face the world. He's physically unwell, and not just not just that. He's also like emotionally weary, and that's something we get in the following lines as well. Um, but let's just start from the first line. I wake up with a hard on, and the light between the hotel curtain gives the finger. So waking up with a hard on. Um, <laughs> Well, I think it's a pretty, okay. It's Look, a, it's a natural, daily occurrence. Yeah, it's a daily occurrence, a natural thing to have hard yes. on. It, it alludes to, you know, like, desire, right? Um, but it's unfulfilled desire because it's just, yeah. I mean, you get a hard on, but you don't necessarily do things to get rid of it. So it's just... Mm-hmm. Yeah, so when I read this nine, I get the feeling of um, unsatisfied desire. And as you said earlier, right, it's a daily occurrence, so it has that kind of mundanity to it. Um, as though every day we are left just continuing to pine for things that we can't get. Every day you have mm-hmm. a hard on, but you don't have sex every day. Um, yeah. And it's and the, quite it's quite yeah. in your face also, right? Like, mm-hmm. like usually when it comes to describing, I don't know, as far as I've read, usually when it comes to describing sex, is it's it's slow. There's build up. There's like foreplay, you know. Uh-huh. But this one is straight up like I wake up with a hat on, and it's very like um jarring. Mm, like there's no there's no romance or spirituality at all to this desire. It's just a purely biological um reaction of the body. Mm. Yeah, which goes back to like the the jadedness that the persona feels. I think. Yeah. Okay, let's move on. And the light between the hotel curtains gives the finger. This is quite funny because, you know, when people write poems, light and morning, they're like images of hope, right? But in this instance, the light that creeps between your hotel curtains gives you the middle finger. It's like, ah, the day's not going to get any good. (laughs) And (laughs) so really, it's just a nice turn, yeah, because it subverts your expectations of it subverts your expectations of what morning is gonna bring, and mm. in the context of the the jadedness of the persona, right? I think it's just not sub, It's not gonna be like sub- subversive or surprising for him, lah. Every day is just gonna be the finger. It's the same scene every day. The morning doesn't give you hope. The morning is just a reminder that every day is gonna be the same as the previous ones. Because you're gonna have continued having hard ons and not sex. You're gonna continue feeling lonely but not uh, enjoying proper companionship. You might go to clubs, but you n- might not feel um, happy, as he talks about later. Yeah. So, continuing. No rosy morn, but pale, pluralized bringer of the day to come. I'll write to write to write. Um, I really like this uh, section of the line, I'll write to write to write, because it continues with that monotony that has been established with the daily occurrence of the hard-on, right? And it's 
Mm. Yeah, so the image I have is of a man who is um, obsessively writing away. And it's not like he's writing for fulfillment. But he's writing because he has no choice but to write. Um, and it's not something that necessarily brings him joy because it's something, it's almost like a routine. It's almost like a chore. And in fact, if you consider the... Um, the, the narrative behind the collection, right? The narrative is of this poet who struggles to pay his loans. Uh, yeah. Because, oh. yeah, so he writes a poem every single month, and at the end of the month, he has to just pay his loans. Uh. Yeah. And also, like, um, in the context of the poem itself as a text, right? Um, I find it interesting how I'll write to write to write. It's not just obsessive or obligatory in the sense, in the semantic sense, like he has to write for the sake of writing but also in the contextual sense, because he literally has to continue adding the to write at the end in order to fit the meter and to rhyme with the light, uh, light in the first line. So yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That's just kind of clever. So yeah. I, I mean, it is true. Yeah. It's, and like, it's a good observation. I mean, huh? And you, considering, you consider the fact that the persona is like a poet now. So literally, yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. We'll see, since we're sightseeing, the sights. It just looks so, like, <laughs> funny, literally. Because he's not saying anything meaningful. It's like, we'll see. And what are we going to see? Okay, since we're sightseeing, we'll see the sights. It's mm. like, yeah, it just adds on, reinforces the, the repetitiveness of his existence and the meaninglessness. Like, nothing surprises him, you know. It's so yeah. predictable. Yeah. It's the same same trend, right? Where you're following mm-hmm. in the previous line, just writing yeah. for the sake of writing. Just yeah, yeah, yeah. obvious. Like, he doesn't know how to fill this line. So it's just like, we'll see. Okay, since you're sightseeing, the sights. Yeah. It's like the, it's an anaphora here. I don't know. It's like repeating, like, repeating the same kind of syntax or whatever. And then following that, lunch with an ex-boyfriend not seen in years. So earlier on, on, I talked about the unfulfilled desire in the heart on, right? And here you also have that. The, it alludes the, um, the emotional void in his life right now because it's an ex, and it's also an ex that he has not seen in years. So, um, I think if you are someone who has dated, right, and you can, and you're in such a position, you go out with an ex whom you have not seen in years. I feel like it would conjure feelings of loneliness, right? I mean, you think of the times that were, and the times that no longer are, yeah, and. Chances are, if you're going out with your ex, you probably, know, you probably don't have a boyfriend right now. So, mm-hmm. yeah, man is not just sexually unfulfilled, but also emotionally unfulfilled. And then, carrying on to the next line. Go to a bar where we will last and there, but do nothing before we call it a night. So, going to a bar where we will last and there, um, I mean, this carries on like the idea of desire. You're just, you're pining for life because bars are where... Uh, life, well, they're very happy in places and associate bars with life, I guess. And also bars are places where queer people tend to meet other queer people. I mean, that's why gay bars exist, right? And mm-hmm. yeah, so there's, so where we will last and there, last and there being like kind of passive voyeuristic acts because you're, you're watching from a distance. You're not actually going in to form relationships. You're not going in to that social network. You're still an outsider. So just that. Uh, the liquid like alliteration kind of reinforcing mm-hmm. that passivity yeah we will last and yeah so this reminds me of the golly boy poem by Arthur Young, but never mind um but but do nothing before we call it a night which is surprising because if you go to a bar there's already that intention to do something and you last and yeah that's already the motivation that 
primal desire to do something, right? However, ultimately, nothing gets done. So and you call it a blue bulb. What does that mean now? Etched, is it? Yeah, some, something like that. Oh. Let's carry on. Yes. So man has had a hard on since morning, and like at night, um, even at, like after so many hours has gone by, he still hasn't met his sexual needs and wants. Yeah, but do nothing before you call it at night. And then I turn and turn, and still the sheets disgust me. He's back in bed. Or alternatively, if we reach the end of the poem, right, he might not even have been to the bar. He might have just been in his imagination, but. We'll get to that later. I turn and turn and still the sheets disgust me. He disgusts me. I disgust me. Lust disgusts me. I don't remember where I read about this. Maybe it was the introduction to the collection, but I love how the position of disgust, right, changes in every single line. So like in the first line, disgust is at the end of the line. Then in the second line, it's it's as um it's in the middle, uh, he, he disgusts me, I disgust me. And then the third line, it's disgust at the front. So it's really um, the repetition, yeah, the repetition of like that disgust. Uh, I guess it goes back to the the writerly, the writerly intention behind this, right? Because we talked about to write, to write, to write, we'll see since the sightseeing decides. And here it's like playing with the position of disgust to make it as, um, I'll just use monotonous again. <laughs> yeah, you get what I mean. It sounds it sounds like quite tacky. Mm. If if I do say so, it's like it's like a like a fifteen year old wrote this, right? Uh-huh. Like, I turn it's and turn and see the sheet disgust me. He disgusts me. I disgust me. Uh-huh. There's no lyricism in these lines, mm. right? It's very the structure is very simple. So it's just uh especially in the second and third line, right? It's just he disgusts me. Right. I disgust me. disgusts me. Yeah. It's just that very simple structure, as if he has given up on writing, or as if he has no inspiration to allow him to write uh, more beautifully. Yeah. And also, I was trying to say, oh yeah, I turn and turn and turn, and still the sheets disgust me. Do you think he had a wet dream? Uh, maybe. Maybe. Okay. Well, yeah, the sheets disgust him. Or maybe it's just the fact that he's alone in bed, and all he can feel are the sheets. Yeah. Okay, but moving on. Wait, wait, actually, before, before I move on, uh... Yeah, so if we look at the, the rhyme scheme, right, in uh, this part, the second stanza here, so it's an ABBA rhyme scheme, so the sights, the years, clear, and night. So sights is supposed to, in, in this poem, rhyme with night, and years is supposed to rhyme with clear, but as you can see with the addition of the, the S sound, the rhyme isn't quite, uh, it's not as uh, fluid, it's not really like, complete so this creates like a sort of jarring effect and and yeah I, I think it also helps to contribute to that sense of uh, unfinished business or, or, or like the lack of a happy ending to that day mm. right so you start off with that uh, sexual desire but you don't actually get to like mm. um, you know, release it mm-hmm. and also there's some also like like after we've talked about the rhyme scheme right I realized that if you look at it as an in, an, in its entirety, right, it's A B B A, then A B B A, then C C A B B A. So, um, you know the trajectory I get from this is like you're trying to get somewhere, but you return to that same point again. Like in the first stanza, 
it's A then B, but then you go you go B again and go back to A. And same for second stanza. And third stanza, you get a new um, end rhyme, you get the discussed last rhyme. But eventually it still goes back to A and then B B and then A again. So which goes back to our idea of him um, being unable to, you know, move on from being unable to move on from this um, this kind of this way of living which he has been stuck with for a pretty long time to the extent that he has been jaded and no longer feeling the urge no he does feel the urge but the the sufficient willpower to follow through with his desires to eventually um, change his life yeah so now we're back to the last stanza so and the finger bruised a slight cut in the curtain previously a smear hardens into a direction well um when i read this it kind of gave me the it kind of felt like i was traveling back in time of sorts it's like reverse motion because it's from a bruise to a slight cut then previously a smear right um mm. i think to me it evokes healing so it suggests a turn in the poem as if um here is where hope begins, here is where um, recovery begins. Then the finger itself hardens into a direction. So for me, it could be like, there are, I think there are two ways I would interpret the finger. I think literally it could be him just getting out of bed, drawing the curtain. And so as he draws the curtain, his finger would harden into a direction and light and let light in so there's a sense of him being active right taking being my god i'm mm. a being prime minister of his life <laughs> um but it's a rosma thing um and yeah or alternatively it could be the finger because he also used finger like uh in the, in the opening of the poem uh when he compared morning light that seeps in through the curtains uh to the middle finger so alternatively, it could be morning light hardening into direction, as if now um, morning light no longer has that um, mocking, hostile, indifferent um, personality that the persona gave it at the beginning, because now it is as if um, the morning light is leading him onto um, another phase in his life, I guess, a more hopeful stage in his life to something different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's this contrast with the opening, the first and the first quartet. Um, yeah, so very obviously there's a turn in the poem already. And so the last line is um, desirable and promising as light. So yeah, this is where the complete turn happens. Uh, I mean, at the beginning, light gives the finger, but whereas now light goes back to um, what it is commonly associated with, uh, which is hope and promise, which is a very human thing. People, mm. yeah, I mean, morning brings hope to people. Dawn brings hope to people, not just like biologically because you wake up and, oh, congrats, you're still alive, but also like in literature, right? Morning is used to connote hope. Lah. So at the beginning, when you read this poem, right, it feels like an, a reverse Obad because an Obad being like <laughs> a poem about morning, right, and dawn. Um, <laughs> right. But then, Towards the end, it's yeah, okay lah. He's getting back into 
the hopefulness, I guess. And I guess that's why I chose this poem also, because it's not entirely pessimistic. There's hope at the end. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I was talking about how he might have not even gone to the bar, right? Because I feel like the image I got reading this poem is um, at first him in bed, and then the light gives him finger. Then you get a vignette of him going to the bar, but not doing anything. And then at the end, it's him in bed again, but with like morning light being a bringer of hope. So I don't know, my, my way of interpreting it would be persona was just in bed all this while, which further reinforces the um, passivity of the persona because he didn't even get out of bed to do anything. He just imagined going out there and not doing anything. Even in his imagination, he failed to summon willpower enough to like follow through to at least satisfy his desires imaginatively. Yeah, I'm done with this poem. Uh, actually, on, on the idea of the, the turning point that you've mentioned, yeah. the structure and, and the rhyme scheme of the poem actually comes back to mind, which is very interesting. So if we look at uh, a Petrarchan sonnet, for instance, right? Yeah. So after the line after uh, do nothing before you call it a night, that's where the, the volta, the turning point would be. Yeah. But in this case, you've uh, rightfully pointed out that the turning point is from uh, two lines after that. So and the finger, bruise, the slight, blah, blah, blah. And what's also interesting is that uh, after the line, but do nothing before you call it a night, you have a couplet right in the, somewhere in the middle, like seven, seven, like three quarters into the poem. Uh -huh. You have a couplet right there. So I turn and turn and still the sheets disgust me. He disgusts me. I disgust me. And last, right? So mm. it's unusual because usually you would end the sonnet with a couplet. But uh, what G has done here is that he's gone and planted the couplet like somewhere further up to, mm. to try to uh, enhance and, and contribute to that sense of languor and the sense of like stillness that uh, the, the speaker feels, right? When mm -hmm. he's sitting in his bed and playing all these images in his head and, and he's just like unable to get up. Yeah. Actually, right, now that, now you that, now that you mentioned the couplet, the way I viewed it just now was three stanzas, right? Like two right. couplets and one sister. But then now that you mentioned the couplet, it could be an incomplete, um, Incomplete sonnet followed by another incomplete sonnet. Do you see it? Well, what what do you mean? Okay, like the Shakespearean sonnet is three quad three three quatrains and one couplet, right? Yeah. Yeah. Then here, if we follow the four stanza formula, it would be two quatrains and then one couplet. So that's one incomplete sonnet. And then we have another quatrain after the couplet, which follows the same rhyme scheme as the um the first quatrain as if um, beginning anew, but also reverting to a same pattern. Ah, right. Yeah. That's the ambiguity, which I think fits in quite nicely like, with the overall tone of the poem, whether it is, it's like balancing between hope and also just jadedness, disillusionment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in fact, I guess if we were to adopt my idiosyncratic view of this poem as two incomplete sonnets, there is in fact, I guess, a beginning at the start of the poem, an ending in the middle, and another beginning at the end of the poem. 
yeah. could very well be a vicious cycle as well. So. Precisely. And it's just another hard-on after this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's right. all I have for this poem. So moving on to First State by Cyril Wong. Sometimes I rewrite what it was like when we first met, not at City Hall during lunch breaks for work, our deflective looks and refolding of arms. We could bump into each other at Hopa Villa amidst ten levels of hell, our gazes bridging over spirit bodies of the hateful, happily boiled and knived and peeled. Or on a train at the zoo during its night safari, as we trade Ernest grins tucked in shadows alongside lions and rhinos. When I could venture a remark, what separates us from the animals is how I could get to know you past the point when you're no longer here. Right, yeah, so um, as I mentioned before, it's a very straightforward poem. So the speaker here is essentially talking to his, uh, his lover and recounting um, how they first met and how he wishes that they could have met at first. And uh, so if you look at the, the juxtaposition between the first and second stanza, right? So how they actually met was, you know, just like uh, at work, at City Hall versus like this really um, extreme hellish image of Hopa Villa amidst 10 levels of hell. And there's also a, an, an acknowledgement of the existence of hell and, and their human mortality here. And of course, there's also that juxtaposition between the, the very casual and even coincidental uh, act or image of these two people bumping to each other. But on the other hand, you have this very fatalistic uh, context of hell mm-hmm. where you know that this is going to happen and it's not just like a coincidence, but it's not just like a casual everyday uh, happening. And uh, you also have a very uh, grotesque image here a very grotesque like collection of sounds here. So if you look at the, the last line in the second stanza, happily boiled and knifed and peeled, you have all these long vowel sounds that kind of uh, suggest or kind of like imply the slow cooking of human bodies in hell. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, I'm not sure why Cyril chose to write about Night Safari here. Uh, maybe except for the comparison to animals, or maybe it was like an actual memory. But yeah, the, the image of the nighttime, the sense of mystery, and with the night sky, there's also, it, it does suggest a, this idea that there's something much, much bigger than ourselves. There's something much, much bigger than them. When, when you look at the night sky and, and there's all these stars in the sky, right? And you see the moon and there's just this whole infinity of, of black space out there. And that links to our final stanza here, when the speaker talks about the difference between uh, human beings and animals, right? So how I could get to know you past the point when you're no longer here. And mm-hmm. this like unlocks a whole Pandora's box of, of meaning. Right? Like, so on mm-hmm. one hand, 
or what really comes to mind as a writer is uh, you can immortalize someone in writing just as Cyril has done here in this poem. So even after, so, so, so if you write a poem about someone and even after like they perish and found themselves six feet underground, you still have this poem to remember them by and they still live on through this poem. And I mean, yeah, same concept with that uh, short story uh, of Amanda Lee Coase that we read, The Ballad of Ali and Nelly. Same uh-huh. concept there. But I think more simply, it's just about um, memory and uh, holding all these memories of someone mm-hmm. uh, close to you, even after they're gone. Right? And how the speaker does that is through writing and rewriting, as they mentioned in the, the first line. Mm. And yeah, I think that's all I have in, in breaking down this poem. Mm-hmm. I think the, you know, the whole popular part, right, amidst 10 right. levels of hell, you talked about the juxtaposition between the casual coincidental bumping and the fatalistic context of hell. Um, but for me, I guess, what, we, what stood out to me more is the context of hell as a place of death. Uh, right, right. Uh, right. I mean, and so for me, he probably chose to write about how popular because the to allude to the fact that their relationships already did, and which goes back to the find the question at the final stanza, um, which is how you can get to know someone past the point when you're no longer here. And just now you talk about the writing and rewriting of memory, like this Hopa Villa part, it might not, it really might not have happened, and it's just a really poetic place um, to use to talk about relationships because it's a place. Um, and things are over, but still surviving in a um, perverted form where there is not much joy but torment. And also, right, you talk about the Night Safari choice, right? Then I guess um, a link that could be spotted would be that between Hopa Villa and Night Safari, I guess, because they're both like kind of dangerous places. They have an element of danger to them, right? They're like Hopa Villa, obviously. Um, recreates uh, danger and pain, very grotesque um, danger. Mm. And Night Safari, I think animals, they're all, kind of, they're all predators. So so for both, they're like simulations of danger and pain, but at a safe distance. So it's a sense of a rehearsal of separation. Like it's a danger of something painful happening, but you are safe. Yes. Mm. Which goes back to the fundamental thesis that you offered just now about this poem being a writing and rewriting of uh, memory, because this is also a way of coping with a breakup, for example. Um, and as you said at the end, whether knowing someone past the point of being together is a curse or a blessing, it very much depends on the time that you have spent dwelling on it, because uh, it very much depends on the stories you tell yourself and how you make sense of the experience in the context of your life. And so I think for this poem, while there is still the, there's still, I guess, some ruefulness in the tone because, I mean, he's still obviously um, thinking about the ex, but I think ultimately he's at a stage where he's um, moving on. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, and, and I forgot to also mention that when you're no longer here, like, as you mentioned, can refer not just to death, uh, but it can also just refer to 
not being physically present, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so maybe after the the speaker has broken up, that lover. And on the point of Hopper Villa and the Night Safari, uh, what what I just realized is that there's a certain sense of like like passivity here. So the Night Safari, the the speaker is observing all these animals, and Hopper Villa, the speaker is observing. Uh, all these like exhibitions of hell, right? Uh-huh. I mean, it's like as if the action is happening uh, not uh, in the context of the relationship, but elsewhere, because like the relationship is already settled, you know. So at Hopa Villa, the action is uh, in the murals in the ten levels of hell, and then at Safari, the action is in animals. But there, but uh, for for the persona and his. And as partner, they're really in a very passive state. They're like just observers. Um, yeah, because their relationship is settled. Huh? There's no agency except in revision, therefore. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah on, on the other hand, I feel like it's also like it's just Zero Wong lah, <laughs> keeping to his own like um, meditative, like mm-hmm. as as he has described himself, like sort of being like a recluse. Mm-hmm. And and so he's just like this passing figure among like the sea of bodies. Uh-huh. And yeah, I mean, I think if if we branch out from that vein, it, it really invites more questions of uh, how much agency do we actually have mm. when it comes to retaining a relationship and making yeah. it last, right? And on the question of agency, like. I think there's a similarity we can spot between the two poems, right? Because in both poems, the personas um, lack agency, and the only way for them to wrestle back agency is to write or rewrite. Uh, in the case of G, uh, I mean, like G, in the case of persona in G's poem, um, the persona has an ambiguous relationship with writing, right? Because on one hand, it, it does give him agency, but on the other hand, it's an obligation of sorts. And also, and in, in the persona's attempt at rewriting an imagined scene, like the imagined scene going to a bar where they last in there but do nothing, eventually it still goes back to doing nothing. It's like it's pretty fatalistic and pessimistic tone, but which we do not get lah in the second rewriting in Cyril's rewriting, because in Cyril's rewriting it's more of um, acceptance of something that's already over, and arriving at an insight and um, available insights at the end, which is that we still dwell on things that are long past, but also that mm. we are able to change how we experience things of the past and continue on to the future. Yeah, and uh, in, in both poems, we are exposed to personas who are like in pretty shitty places. These are people who are different extents like maybe emotionally damaged who find it difficult to get out of bed in the morning but there is still an element of like uh, hope that does come through in by the end of the poems right and yeah maybe I don't know hopefully it parallels our own experiences mm-hmm. going from 2022 2023 yeah so we hope you've enjoyed the, the two poems that we've read today uh, and of course, please do check out uh, Jiyongko and, and Cyril Wong's writing. Mm. Um, and and yeah, I think I, I forgot to share my, my hopes for 2023 just now, but 
I think if you ask me now, what I would say is, well, I would just hope to be able to turn back to my roots, I guess. I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, so much has happened over the past, like, two years with COVID and oh. the A-levels. I haven't really had time to, like, stop and, I think, just reflect on how I can be a better person. Mm -hmm. Uh yeah, I mean I've only had that one month of like free time after A levels mm -hmm. I wanted. But it was really just like making yeah. up a lost timer. Yeah. So yeah, I I mean Still look for the partying now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> pretty, pretty much. Uh. Yeah. But um, you know, after all partying, just hope to be able to um truly think about how I want to treat myself better, how I want to treat mm -hmm. others better, mm -hmm. and well, how I can write better mm -hmm. and read better. Mm -hmm. That that sounds pretty fake, but <laughs> it's no, very far away, so I, just, I like I it. To polish it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I hope I get a boyfriend in 2023. <laughs> okay, overstrain time. Okay, yeah, that's all I have. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Bye bye. To you listening, Happy New Year too. Happy New Year and Happy Chinese New Year in one month's time. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye. Wait, let me stop recording. Done.